Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello everyone, this is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. After seven weeks, 48 matches, a whole load of pods, this is our final dispatch from out here in France. It's Sunday in Paris, the day after South Africa have won the World Cup for a fourth time, beating their great rivals New Zealand in a gripping final. I'm Alfie Reynolds and who else would be alongside me other than Alex Lowe, Will Kelleher, Stephen Jones. Guys, we all all right? Oh, we're brilliant. Full of good. beans. No, we're good. We're obviously going to get into looking back on this World Cup, the final, few other bits and bobs as well. But I suppose to kick things off, first question to you all. On our preview pod, we spoke a lot about hoping to get the final to finish off this World Cup. A brilliant game. It had so much potential. What did you make of the finale that we got? I think there might be some disagreement on this. Mm. I've read Steve's match report this morning and you didn't, you didn't like it at all, did you? No. It had no run of play in it whatsoever, no continuity. And what what we always feared happened, and that is that the new stipulations regarding on safety or to, to build up safety in rugby uh, were always going to come and haunt the tournament, and they did it in the final in the most graphic way. You see, I thought it was a gripping contest. And I I felt, as I reflected on it afterwards, it felt less of a of a rugby match and more of a saga there was like for a game that finished 12-11 there was an extraordinary amount packed into it it didn't have the free-flowing rugby that everyone always dreams of but the the rain was hammering down mistakes were high but I thought there was so much else that makes up our game that was outstanding and a lot of it came from players like Peter Steph Dutoit defensively 28 tackles smoking people from first minute to last Ardi Surveyor leading the All Blacks' resistance when they'd gone down to 14 men, and we, we can discuss the, the cards situation in a minute, but I feared there was a point in the first half where I feared it was going to be a, a Springbok blowout. I feared it was going to end up 30 points to six. But the fact that it went right to the wire, again, for me, was just as compelling and just as fascinating as some of the more exhilarating, free-flowing rugby games we've had. I, I, I loved it, and I thought the, all the subplots through it were... We're, we're fascinating. Did it kind of sum up rugby in our current era in 2023? Like desperately arguing over cards, no one knowing what whether it's a red, a yellow, a penalty only, nothing. That is true. Loads of that, and also, a, but a grippingly tense game that's really close against two teams that aren't. It's hard to say this, maybe, but I don't think they're the both absolute vintage versions of the Springboks or the All Blacks, possibly. And the Springboks could argue that because they're double World Cup winners and won a line series. But, but What if that game had been played in balmy conditions? Yeah. It, w- it would have been a totally different game. You'd no, I don't agree with that. You don't agree? So I don't agree with that. You think New Zealand would have played? Neither team were anything, anything remotely near 
And we're, we're talking about, you know, summed up modern-day rugby. Modern-day rugby was reinvented. There's been seven games in this tournament, five of which I, I would consider to be one of the, some of the greatest of all time or would be in the top ten. We were back to this halting stuff, endless re- re- references, either live or, or privately, to the, the TMO, endless going back to did he hit did he hit him head to head did he dip one inch and all that yeah but that, that and the, the, what what happened was that the court case uh, threatened against rugby has haunted them forever and yesterday it the specter of it was over everything well, I'm t- we're talking about two different things now. We, we could absolutely have a conversation about the card decisions I'm, what i'm saying is that i think south africa would have played how south africa play with the team they picked but that was partly driven by the fact they knew it was going to rain i think new zealand execution their accuracy wasn't as good as it usually is part of that is because they always had peter stephanie toy a millisecond away from smashing them but but also the conditions weren't as weren't as conducive to the way that they play i do think the game would have been different i think new zealand would have forced the running a bit more you know they had a lot of the ball in that second half but with were a man down and just ran into a they didn't have a lineup they made the fatal error of having a big lump in the lineup they couldn't lift it took them way way too long to bring Sam Whitelock on, they had no line-out, and they made so many handling errors. I mean, the All Blacks, it's not as if the All Blacks don't play in rain, Alex, every, no, every week. Well, we're six minutes into the pod, and I think it gives quite a good insight of just the, the amount of stuff there is to get into in this final, which we are going to do. Obviously, we'll look back on the final. We'll also mention England's bronze as they beat Argentina, although I'm sure you can understand that's not going to be uh, top of the bill. We'll name a god or goddess of the week, and we'll also reflect on the World Cup as a whole as the curtain closes on France 2023. But first up, let's get properly stuck in to that final. So as we just said in the opening six minutes there, there's refereeing decisions, there's so many different moments of this game that we can discuss in detail. Let's get on to the officiating in a moment. Overall, when you look at this Springboks team and the victory, the pool they've had to come through, winning all of their knockout games by a point, is it the greatest run to a World Cup victory that we've ever seen? One of the hardest, having the number one ranked team in the world before the tournament in your pool and the fifth, then going, having to beat the hosts, then another one-point win, and then another one-point win in the final, all the bit against 14 for a lot of it, is one of the harder runs to win the World Cup. Yeah, Ra- Razzie was talking in the England week about how you can you can win a World Cup by getting an easy route through, which is really what the box did in 2019. You know, they, they lost to the All Blacks early, and then they played... Japan. Japan, and then they played Wales, and won an arm wrestle, and then beat... Be England. That's that was as relatively soft a route to to winning it as as is available. Now that's not to undermine what what they did and where they came from in a relative relatively short space of time. But I thought, but this route to winning it required them to dig a lot deeper physically and think a lot harder tactically. And you know, we've talked all through this tournament about Springbok coaches being innovative slash pushing the boundaries. There was a moment yesterday we thought we might see another one when Bongi came off and he was. Noted on the card as being a tactical replacement as he hobbled off and went into the changing room, clearly had about a million a million jabs in his knee, came back out and was warming up with the team again. And you son, you start to wonder whether there's going to be a, an HIA which would allow him back on. Didn't happen, but they've you know they've had to they've they've thought deeply, tactically, uh, in order to get over the line. And that's invo- that squad rotation, that's depth, that's lots of things. And they've taken chances which have actually paid off for them. I think the mentality to go again, again and again in three knockout games against two very, very, very high 
performing teams and one who had grown England throughout the tournament and gave them a hell of a game is remarkable. And and the other thing to it too, I think I'm right in saying that no team has beaten New Zealand and England at the World Cup in the same tournament. So I know England aren't the, the vintage England they have been, but they've done a lot of things for the first time. Like they've won World Cup back to back. It's interesting, I was saying to you, Alex, in the stands after the game, They've almost done the reverse of what New Zealand did with their two back-to-back wins. New Zealand did their nipper first, the 8-7 in Eden Park against France, and then they did their sort of like glorious, brilliant win in the final against Australia in 15, whereas South Africa kind of did the brilliant win in 2019, 32-12, and then the nipper this time. But I don't know, the mindset to go through that tournament, lose to Ireland, then one point win, one point win, one point win, with not much of a fair win behind them, that, that's, that's a pretty good effort I think I thought they were fortuitous in many of those games and all last night I was thinking of one team the team that was really really distraught last night and that was France France technically and in all other respects were the best team out here they should have won it they made a total mess in defence in the first half against South Africa and couldn't get back I think France were 5% better than any other team in the World Cup and I don't think either of the two teams played yesterday in dry or wet were as great as their countries have fielded by any means. But the brutal thing about that is, obviously, South Africa beat them. And they, and they largely because they couldn't catch the ball. Like, 21 points in that game, France-South Africa came from high bombs, France not being able to catch them, and South Africa scoring immediately. Like, I agree, I totally agree, and I would have loved to, loved to have seen France in the final, but... They did play against the Springboks and they did lose by a point and they couldn't get over the line. So that's we've talked about it endlessly throughout this World Cup, but World Cups are crazy. They're mad. They don't go often the way you think they're going to go. There's something that happens that's different. So we would all love to see France, but ultimately they didn't deserve to win the World Cup because they messed up on the big day. And one thing that when you spoke to Francois Lowe, Will, for your series of how to win the World Cup, looking back on that victory four years ago in 2019, something he said was that he felt that they weren't able to capitalise on it because COVID happened so shortly after it, the world shut down, economies were troubled. And I just kind of hope with this victory, it gives South Africa almost like a pleasing thing from it is it gives them another opportunity to capitalise on it. So I think that there's there's two halves to this and you've got to be careful because we we're not South Africans, obviously. We don't live in South Africa. We don't know really the reality of that country's politics and history and everything we can we know about it from afar but we don't know about it firsthand and I think there's something that I you can kind of separate here so Sir Khaleesi after the game was absolutely extraordinary in the press conference wasn't he he gave two unbelievable speeches one it was basically a how do you feel first question and then he gave what like a three or four minute speech about the beautiful broken country that he comes from inspiring people like he did in 2019 all the places that the people have come from in the side and all that and you just sit there and you just go your jaws dropped and you think oh my god this guy's one of the great captains and almost politicians of all time so he's an extraordinary character and leader and just an amazing figure for the sport isn't he but then I think there's a separate thing here some of this is coming from South Africans it's not just people from outside the tent where I think the way that South Africa have won over the last four years has been has left a sour taste and that's not I can already see millions of Springbok supporters coming in the comments as saying oh sour grapes salty English it's I think they've trampled on a lot over the last four years morally and 
with lots of things around Razi Erasmus, the way he's treated referees, the way he's incited pylons on social media on purpose, the way he's used things to his advantage, Machiavellian. And, and that, is not, that is not just my opinion. I know that's an opinion of people high up in the game in South Africa as well. I personally don't feel the joy maybe that you could have felt in 2019 when we didn't know about all that stuff. Like the stuff that's happened in the British and Irish Lions series and since a lot of the skullduggery around the things that they've been doing over the last four years has to be part of the story. And I, don't th- mm. and I think that's not an unfair thing to say. It, it, it's, uh, they've, all failed, they've all failed to attend their uh, non-arrogant seminars for a start. I've never met such an arrogant bunch on and off the, off the field. Uh, Razi Raz has been a disgrace. People are saying he should be coming as England coach. I wouldn't touch him with a barge pole. He's got no concept of, of fairness. He never apologised to Wayne Barnes. It's absolutely despicable. And that is why it's a bad thing for rugby that they won. Uh, good, good thing for their rugby, but they can stew in whatever they want over there. The other thing is they're gone. They're done now because it is very rare to bring the same team or almost the same team to two World Cups. There is no way they can come to a third without massive changes because a lot of those guys will be gone. There will be loads of changes, I suppose, in, in the back room because Jacques Nienaber, which is extraordinary, really, double World Cup winning coach and he's going to be the assistant at Leinster from next season. Um, Felix Jones is going to England and that looks like an incredible appointment by Steve Borswick there, who's done amazing things and he's only 36 and he's got two World Cups in the back pocket as well. You'd imagine that certainly guys like Dwayne Vermeulen and Dion Faree and maybe Etzebeth and quite a lot of the other forwards, Peter Stefty Toy, they're not going to be there in 27. Khaleesi, I doubt, too. None of the props. He, none of the props. He's got, Khaleesi's going to Racing and he's going to be playing with <laughs> he's going to be playing with um, Fiku, Tuasova and Arundel in that side as well as all sorts of others so yeah it's gonna be a lot of movement if Springboks fans are listening to this they'll probably say oh look look you're all just being so sour you hate the fact that South Africa win I don't think that's right but I think that there's not I'm not saying this is world rugby as in the organization but I think the rugby world outside South Africa sigh a bit when South Africa win World Cups in the way they do and that's not an indictment on how they do it it's just defense winning championships and being hard and physical and stuff isn't the it's not the whether it's right or wrong it's not the image that rugby wants to project the image that rugby wants to be and protect is families rugby values but the actual reality of rugby is it's an absolutely brutal savage sport it's like combat and it doesn't lean into it because it doesn't want to because of the things that Steve mentioned about the concussion and the lawsuits and stuff like that and actually it's getting decided on massive forwards and physicality and size and kicking well and cards and that's what I think I meant at the start about rugby in 2023 I think it got this world cup and this era of rugby got the final that encapsulated everything about where we are in the game at the moment how are we in this position? Because two, two years ago, n- neither of the, offen- uh, the offences which led to a card and a, a red card and a yellow card would even have been a, a penalty. It would not have been a penalty because you p- refs wouldn't have been looking for them and it's not really a high shot anyway if you hit someone with your, with your, with your shoulder. But I so think we want it wouldn't to even be, have been penalties. We want to be constructive. We don't want to just sort of offer problems. We want to offer solutions. But on a Sunday morning after a World Cup final, I'm struggling to think where rugby goes next. Like, I don't know quite how we get out of this malaise of everything's about refereeing decisions. I don't know what you think, Alex. Well, I mean, rugby inherently is a sport where it can't be black and white. Yeah. And some of the problem... But they want it to be, Some of the problem is that the more you use the TMO and frame-by-frame replays, you're asking for black and white decisions in a sport which comes comes down a lot to 
how the referee sees it at the time within the context of the game that's being played at that moment. Now, Sam Kane was sent off for shoulder to the head and he can't complain about it. For me, there's argument whether there was mitigation because of a change of direction, but, but he didn't dip. So he's already, t- he's already in a position where that can happen. And the way the game goes forward is that you get more players like Courtney Laws, who was never yellow carded or red carded for a high tackle, and yet was one of the most destructive defenders in the game. For 15 All, years. For 15 years. Always went low. We saw, what was the game earlier in the, in the tournament? France, South Africa? Not a single TMO referral. Like, it can happen. But the onus, whether you like it or not, the onus is being put on the players to put themselves in a situation. And we are at a point where at the last World Cup, it was pretty clear because they didn't really factor in mitigation. You just knew what, what was coming. Now, they've tried to balance it. The players and the coaches have gone, what, what we had four years ago was, was too harsh, so we need to build mitigation in. And now no one knows. No one knows what's coming. And, and you've got, exactly as Will says, people at home going, it was just a rugby incident. I've seen uh, but the interpretations. It can, as you say, it can never be black and white because um, in, sometimes I've uh, you see people um, being still banned and still sent off, even though they made a real effort to get lower but didn't. Khaleesi didn't make any effort to get lower. He bent his head and he may have, you know, oh great, he went into a tackle and he and he sunk his hips a bit. Well, that's what you do for every tackle that was ever made. And the problem is, it can't be black and white. It is a matter of interpretation because I've seen people sent off the field for getting way lower than Khaleesi did well, for you know, his you know, you know what's going to happen. Will says, what's the future? What, what, what will happen is that the legal Below tackle the height will go down to the sternum like mm. it is currently being in the community game in England. Because I can't, and that's not, this is not me advocating it necessarily, but I do believe that the only way that you get clarity, like at the moment, the difference between a red and nothing is centimetres. Now, if the, if the tackle height is down to the sternum, you've got a much bigger cushion between the legal tackle height and someone's chin. But rugby is at a point where it hasn't gone there yet. So just to reprise a conversation that we'd have had two months ago, being upright in the tackle is not illegal unless you clock heads with your with the ball carrier. Now, there's a counter argument. The ball carrier has some responsibility as well in this because it's you know you can't place everything on the defender when the ball carrier can can shift last minute. But to answer Will's question, where's it going to go by the next World Cup? I would be amazed. Lower if. <laughs> The legal tackle height is not the sternum yeah. in pro rugby by the next World Cup. If you feel sorry for the referees, I'm sure it was a big day for them, but bloody hell, what a r- horrific game but to referee. To, you, know, you, you're, you know Wayne Bard's better than most journalists, Jonesy. I don't think there's any better mark of the, of the man hmm. than the way he managed that game. A, with the, the tension and the, and the number of decisions that had to be made in that game. Not not just card decisions, but you know, it was a it was a street fight. It there were totally agree. Yeah. Uh, so not only not only the way he managed the game as it was on the day, but the way he managed the game that contained a team who a year earlier had gone so public with their complaints that it triggered yes. uh, a horrific pile on, on him and his family. I don't think there's any better mark of the man that he dealt with the game as he did, despite You're all right. of that. I, I, I've, I just texted him this morning to say, what is it about the six foot ten, forty yards offside, Edwin Estabeth, that you, you, you didn't oh, yeah. actually spot? <laughs> apart from, apart, yeah. apart, from, that, um, apart yeah. from that, well done, mate. But <laughs> I, I was listening to the ref mic for a lot of it, and 
His communication was remarkably good to the point where that that really, really sickeningly tense last scrum that got reset. He was talking to both the front rows where everyone knows that that's the scrum of your life for the World Cup. And he was so calmly going, keep high, do your job, concentrate on your jobs, everyone, all that stuff. And you're just like, amazing Mm. sort of calmness from him. There was a point in the middle of this this, like epic tense game where he just went, Oh, stop raining, lads. Yeah, yeah he did. That. With Khaleesi, yeah. Rob Pollard was lining up a goal. That was really funny, oh. yeah. I think, I think what you guys all touched on there is so true as well in that a lot of what we saw last night is a reflection of where rugby is at the moment in that, for example, the Sam Kane one, I'm kind of with you, Alex, in that I looked at it, I thought, I feel brutal for him. It's awful to happen first half of a World Cup, but I think it's a red card. Whereas then I went into the press room at halftime and you just kind of overhear other conversations. And I heard even South African voices saying, surely there was mitigation there because Creel moved. And then likewise, the Khaleesi one, mm. I didn't think should have even been a yellow card. I thought the contact first was on the ball and people said maybe that should be upgraded to a red. So I think with all these decisions, we'll all see it so differently. And actually, will you indulge me in just a little rant come on Alfie well you guys know me fairly well I'm not exactly the ranting type and it was something something I was going to knocked out the receptionist in the hotel I couldn't believe it (laughs) well when they said that we had to wait 20 minutes (laughs) to record in here what do you mean you're hoovering (laughs) Um, I was going to bring this up anyway but it seems quite apt after the final we've just seen and and the the amount of big decisions that there were but I just feel like one of my takeaways from this World Cup is that rugby's in quite a dangerous position in terms of the treatment of officials and the attitude towards them and I think this is across the game from coaches players pundits fans and there's I was trying to think of various different examples to make my point but before every match that I've been at at this World Cup they announce the teams and then they announce the officiating team and it is a chorus of boos every time and I get a part of that is pantomime and whatever but even so I think it it is a reflection of the bigger picture. And if you follow any match on social media, there will be fans of both sides, by the way, complaining about every minute detail. Was that player, did that player release? Were they in at the side? Was it a forward pass? You've got ex-players and pundits and everyone posting stills and slow motion replays about every single decision. And then even if you look back at this weekend, we have Michael Checker being pretty punchy about what he thought of the officiating in the England game. You had Antoine Dupont, I think, making some pretty badly timed comments when France got knocked out and I think that just fuels this kind of criticism and negativity and then abuse as we've just mentioned as we've seen with Wayne Barnes before towards the officials and I think there are really important and worthwhile conversations that we can have I saw Mark Evans tweet last night about obviously they've brought in this uh, the laws around the tackle height to try and change behaviour, it's not changing behaviour and there's a worthwhile discussion to be had there. Maybe there's even a discussion across the board to say that officiating needs to improve and we can have conversations about how to get there. But I just feel like at the moment we're heading down just a really, really bad path and I understand, I'm not naive, sometimes you have to talk about big decisions and sometimes referees will get those decisions wrong and, and we have to talk about that. But at the moment it seems to just be leading to a pile on and every single moment being put under a microscope, and it's not going to lead us anywhere worthwhile or, or constructive. Yeah, there's a how do, how do you balance that, Alfie, with what can be really interesting discussions around? Yeah. Like a referee's made a decision from what he's seen on the day, and I think we would all say that, that any debate thereafter has to be done within the context of th- like, thanks to the referee for even being there and respect the decisions, respect the job that they're doing. Yeah, but we had last week after the Box England game, Alex Corbiziero in our paper 
analysing the scrums and the, and how the scrum shifted in that game and then looking at the final decision and why that final scrum decision went to South Africa. Then separately, David Flatman, another expert in the area, had it came up with a, an opposite conclusion. Like he, he saw it differently. Well, I'll now, tell you what, boys, we wouldn't want to be the four officials uh, out there, would we? Absolutely. We and wouldn't so, want them. So for that. me, I, I found that whole conversation fascinating because it is, it's minute details and, and the, the referees collectively are having to manage that situation. I don't think there's a problem with discussing a lot of decisions. Agreed. But I do think there needs to be a wider exception, uh, um, exception, acceptance, yeah. sorry, there needs to be yeah. a wider acceptance. The referees aren't there to make black and white perfect decisions at every at every breakdown. They're there to, to yeah. manage the game within the context of the game. So if that player is coming from the side but has had no material impact, play on. Mm. And that's what the referee is trying to make a decision all the time. That's a good way to end the refereeing dispute. I think that's perfectly correct. And if we get, if we, if we did manage to get in that direction, it would be better for everybody. All I wanted yesterday was for someone to be fifty points ahead at half time. <laughs> so you could write your match report. One, <laughs> I've had five five night matches now where no one knew who was going to win <laughs> one minute before the end, and the officer going, "Have you filed yet?" Yeah, no, I'm just about to file, but I don't know who's won. <laughs> but that, but that comes back like I, I'm. But it's a Sunday morning, and I'm tired, so maybe I'm being a bit much. But like, as we keep saying, these knockout games have been absolutely amazing. Yeah, like and that's where I think all we, but one got... of them were so te- cripplingly tight. And there, but there are other, there are a multitude of ways of enjoying a game of rugby, and that's the very few occasions you get a pure game. Now, I actually, I do think that that. South Africa-France game with no TMOs and no high shots was was a rare example of a, a game of incredible intensity, superb rugby, where the conversation wasn't about anything else. That's that's a rarity. You know, we all we all love watching Fiji play, and we love watching Portugal play. That's not the only way to play rugby. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I, I I do think that my one concern about this being where rugby is is the contestable kick has become one of the most dominant tactics in this game in, in this World Cup it was we saw a lot of it on Saturday night in the World Cup final because of the conditions and you just you kick it high you try and win it or you you know and, and it was England's failing in that semi-final they, they kept going at it when a knock-on on either side was you know shooting themselves in the foot because the scrum was going bad I don't like I don't want rugby to be played like that all the time but it so. doesn't mean I didn't really enjoy last night and, and I think particularly from that moment where I feared that the box were going to just blow the All Blacks out of the water it was going to be 30 points to 6 when that didn't happen that's what I loved about it I think Alex has articulated it better like I'm not saying I didn't enjoy the game and it absolutely is a privilege to be here and for the whole time but I just think yeah it kind of it summed up where we are but it doesn't mean that I want it to be 78 80 and loads of tries and all that Will Will needs a cuddle, I think, is what the audience <laughs> we, are yeah, probably. We, look, we should we should this. say that the All Blacks played fantastically, considering. Yeah. And and let's actually move on to to the All Blacks as well. Obviously, the Sam came red card. When that happened, I felt like obviously it's not a good thing losing a player, but it could almost benefit them in that I thought tactically in that first half the All Blacks got their game plan a little bit wrong. I thought they were trying to play with it too much. Mm-hmm. I think they had sixty percent possession. And Sam came getting red carded, forced them to approach it in the, a different way. But their, their line-out was terrible. They didn't have a line-out. And um, they, they just didn't start well. They always try and make that first ball a score if they can. They whiz it all over the place. South Africa were waiting for them. But also, you see, this new law where, where the, you refer things above, you've got, you've got a 10 minutes where you think, oh, right, okay, 
we lose someone for 10 minutes, but we think, well, hang on, has he gone for good? The first sin bin with Frizzell, you've got this long period where you don't know whether he's coming back or not. Then you lose your captain, and it's so disruptive. And that's why they did so well. They must have said some good words at half time, because second half, third quarter, they came out and they played like the All Blacks. But on the yellow cards for the All Blacks then, I remember after the first weekend in Marseille and the England red card, and England had, a, had another red card, and our conversation around that was when it keeps happening to the same team, look at what is the consistent factor. And you look at New Zealand through this World Cup and through these knockout stages, Will, they have consistently picked up yellow cards. And through last year, like they lost the Ireland series with red cards, didn't they? They had a couple of, went down to 13 at one point, didn't they, in that Ireland series? And I think this is, this is also a point that we made around Owen Farrell, is that, as Alex has said, it doesn't happen to everyone, this. It doesn't happen to courtly laws. You don't get lots of South Africans being red-carded for massive... Like, maybe Netzebeth doesn't hit people in the face and get sent off. But there are some players and there are some teams that are really ill-disciplined. Whether we agree with the strictures or not, they got it wrong. I think the other thing I would say is that I think in the cold light of day, Sunday morning, flying back to New Zealand, the one thing that will absolutely gut the New Zealanders about is that their skills let them down. Like the absolute thing they've always been the best at in the world is skills under yes. pressure. And the thing that let them down was skills under pressure. And that is brutal <laughs> if you're an all-black. Like dropping the ball, not fizzing passes in front of the guy, just slightly behind, which lets the blitz defence come on. But having said that, if, imagine if that Richie Mwanga try had been... Well, sorry, the Aaron Smith try that Richie yeah. Mwanga set up was allowed. That would have been one of the great World Cup final tries. That was True. so good. Like the way he... Drifted off the blitz defence like a matador, went through, found a little outside gap, had the pace, then flicked the ball inside. He was sort of going backwards when he Amazing. got the ball in order to step Kurt Lorenzo, wasn't it? And yeah. yeah I mean, it was awesome. If it wasn't for that tiny little fingertip knock-on tiny, in the line-out, tiny, tiny. the conversion gets kicked. That's the other thing. When they, when they did score, they scored wide. Yeah. And they, they left five points out there for missed kicks. Yeah. Geordie Barrett, you would have... You'd have put money on him getting that penalty that, that went wide. Then there's a whole other conversation around the, the tactical decisions that they made to kick for the corner instead of kicking points at 12-6 down and a man down, and they kick it, they kick for the corner to try and maul the Springboks back over their own line. I can understand maybe doing it once. Second time, I think you take the points. And they did you know, I think in a final, in the rain, you take the points. It's, it's funny, I know it was raining, but in the old days, or not that long ago, a conversion from the touchline was really, really rare. But actually, they've become incredibly common, especially yeah. in this tournament. And, and um, the, the conversion of the try was a really poor attempt, missed by Miles. So there, there we go. I would also say, yeah, so goal kicking is a Kiwi problem, I think, too. They lost a line series in 2017. Well, sorry, they didn't win a line series in 2017 because Bowden Barrett missed a few really clutch kicks and Owen Farrell got his. Andre Pollard has kicked South Africa to two World Cups now. Goal kicking is a problem for them. And also... Drop goals. Drop goals. Yeah. They... I don't know... I mean, this is maybe reading too much into it, but it almost feels like they're too good to drop goals. That was always the case when... In, in that World Cup quarterfinal... Well, they think o, they're good, 07, too good. When they, when they didn't beat France, and they could have done, but they just wouldn't take a drop goal, thinking they'd score the try. Now, it was interesting on... Last night, the box tried three sort of opportunistic shots. None of them... None of them um, Amazing charge was down on a Pollard one. Yeah, and that was that was key actually that charge down. But when the blacks that were down the other end, they were never looking for it. 
There were moments where they could have gone there for it. There were moments when they could, and they would, but they wouldn't. It's not like the end of the England game against South Africa when they knew they would needed to get into position, but they just couldn't quite mm. get mm. the fifteen yards that they needed. New Zealand had windows to do it, Definitely, but yeah. they it wasn't in their mind. And again, you know, a one score game. A one-point game in the rain. Take the point. You take the points that are on offer. Take the drop goal. If you're playing advantage, which happened a few times, get, and it's take and the it's points, not get the drop goal. It's not um, below them either because Dan Carter did it in 2015. He hardly hit any in his career, but he did when it mattered in and the think, final. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, an interesting final then. Some split opinions on on the pod about it I think Alex I agree with you I thought the first 40 minutes I was there like oh no is this going to really underwhelm but then I don't think I've ever been so nervous watching the second half for a game where I wasn't supporting either side but we'll park I was, it I was only sorry I'll just interrupt you I was, my only disappointment was I'd in, the, in my big preview in the morning I'd, I'd teed it up as this could be the best final since 03 may, maybe longer and so my fear through that first half was that it was all going to just like just slide away as a damp squib because of the cards and what I then loved about it was that I actually think it did deliver one of the best finals if not the since since 03 well we'll leave it there then on the final congratulations to South Africa missed opportunity for the All Blacks maybe that's the way it goes sometimes up next we'll we'll mention England getting the bronze medal the bronze medal which everyone wants to get at the World Cup Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So England 26, Argentina 23, not a great game. A reminder really of whilst England have made progress at this World Cup that there is still a lot they need to build upon heading just, forward. Just hang on a second, I've seen a lot of the third and fourth place games yeah. and that was far from the worst. Yeah, far from the <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. It, yeah. it was, and and 77,000, I mean, what a, what a crowd. I actually thought it, it, it was quite a satisfyingly decent game actually, having said that about the final. 
I, I do think that uh, I, I'm glad that England got something for, for everyone back at home and kids and volunteers. I do think uh, Argentina blew it in a big way, especially by not going for a drive over try when they got a penalty which they missed because their forwards at the time were absolutely dominant and they were playing like an Argentina pack for the first time. I'm glad that England won. I think that Checker would be absolutely furious that Argentina didn't. He was, yeah. I think the um, the best third place game was back here in 07 when Argentina turned on the style to beat France. That was at the Parc des Princes, and it was that was that was a a thrilling occasion. This wasn't thrilling, but what made it a, for me a good game was it did matter to both teams. Mm-hmm. We've sat through. Bronze medal games happened four years ago, eight years ago, where the two losing semi-finalists don't want to be there. They're trudging through a low-grade contest just to get to the end of it and have a beer. This wasn't like that. This actually mattered to both teams. I felt that England were fortunate in a way. Having opened a 13-point lead early, I thought they sort of ran out of steam a bit. It was like the, the exertions of the week before. I know there were a number of different players, and they went into a sort of containment mode quite a long way out it felt a bit like watching Palace where they had Patrick Vieira as manager they took a 1-0 lead and then basically played everyone behind the ball you're just inviting trouble and they got away with it a bit because uh, Nicolas Sanchez missed that penalty they, they got away with just inviting the, the Pumas onto them for about the last 20 minutes but you know they've for a five month project to come away with a bronze medal was the height of anyone's expectations I think like we all when, through, through August when they were dreadful we all said they're dreadful but there's every chance I make the semi-finals. If you make the semi-finals, they were going to play an Argentina or a Wales, Wales in the in the third place playoff. So they've maxed out on on what they can do from a five month project. It doesn't make them the third best team in the world. It means that they're the best team on on that side of the draw. Really, they they sort of won the the second tier side of the draw um, because they were better teams that didn't, as we discussed earlier, from the other side like France and Ireland who didn't didn't make it through. Pumped for Rome in ten weeks. So is that Six Nations opener? Yeah. England right. and Rome. I, I am really interested actually to see now how it evolves with England. There'll be a handful of players who are retiring. We know of three already Ben Young's, Courtney Laws, Johnny May. Joe Marler, Dan Cole expected to follow. Marler's sort of semi officially announced it by asking Ben Youngs to announce on his behalf because he, <laughs> he, he didn't think we'd believe him if he announced his retirement, having already <laughs> done it at least once. He's cried wolf. Um, yeah. So there'll be some aging players going, but some of the, you know, Ben Earl was England's best player at this World Cup. 25 George Martin had a you know he was he was carrying a knee injury early got got that okay to play an absolute humdinger of a semi-final Ollie Chesham really good tournament you know there's a, there's a core of players who, who you know who've, who've really made a mark at this at this That's World it. Cup you mentioned Marler Jack Marler would be one of my favourite England players on this on this tournament I ran into him just before the tournament when it was he didn't know whether he was going to go for it or not I said and I, I actually thought at the time Joe you've been a really really good servant but this thing about what well, well, do, do I want to go do I not why don't you just blast it go out there and he did and he got the place back and I thought you played wonderfully well and from everything you hear he was really important in that England squad. On that Lions tour, 17, Gatland was a bit disappointed with him, with the, the way he approached things, his sort of laissez-faire attitude, and that's why he didn't make the... And assuming he was going to be in the sort of mixed veg team rather than yeah, the yeah, main... Uh, yeah, assuming when he'd Gatland be in the thought, oh, he could have been a starting loose prop. Yeah, and he just well, he kind of went there expecting to be a midweeker, and, and Gatland wasn't that impressed with him. On this trip, he's, by all accounts, from everyone you speak to, he's been... A critical senior player you know, for a guy who's had his own struggles who you could 
forgive for going into himself a bit at times on a well, not only an eight-week trip but a five-month camp. Everyone says that he's been absolutely critical in in helping to galvanise yeah, that's what I've heard. The, the, yeah. the, galvanise this team from what was a you know disjointed, dysfunctional group of players at the start of the year with no idea who they were or what they all stood for. He's been really important in making bringing in a certain identity, and it's only a it's only a platform, it's only a foundation of you know they they, they fight for each other to get over the line somehow. That's a start. Like it's got to get better. Six nations. There's got to be more layers. There's got to be more more to them. But at least they at least they now have that. And just a word on Ben Youngs retires as England men's most cap international. I think I think it's a remarkable effort to start first starters to play for England for 13 years through five head coaches, win 127 caps. And I think I looked up that so Danny Kerr made his debut in 2008. Ben Youngs was two years later. In that period, England have played 141 test matches, and Youngs has been part of 127, and Kerr was part of 96. And you think, whatever you thought about them at the time, whatever you, you could criticise them for throughout that period, to be there all the way, pretty much always being one and two or two and one as the number nines, is a great effort. He, They've capped 10 scrum halves since he made his debut, plus there were... Two, so Paul Hodgson didn't play after Ben Youngs made his debut and Danny Carroll was obviously around. I reckon he was at his peak under Eddie Jones. So that era, 2016 to 2019. Uh, I would completely agree that where one of the big failings that Eddie Jones made was that he then did not evolve, he, hasn't, he did not evolve a succession plan at Scrum Half. So Ben probably started a whole load of games post-2019 that he probably shouldn't have for the, for the kind of the evolution of the England team. But that is not his fault. And I do think that seeing off eight or nine of those ten scrum halves and being consistently picked is worthy of respect. Whether or not you've always fancied him as, as England's first choice scrum half, there was, there was frequently a debate about it. And certainly since 2019, I don't think England and Eddie Jones dealt with the scrum half situation well at all. But that's not Ben's fault. So for England, bronze medal, Ben Youngs with his swan song. Interesting to see how they develop as a team into the future. Next up, we'll finish off our final pod in France. We will give our closing thoughts on the 2023 World Cup and we'll also name our God or Goddess of the Week. So you guys have all been out here for the full seven weeks of the tournament. We've kind of spoken about it throughout the tournament. That There's been some brilliant moments, some brilliant rugby, some off-the-field things that maybe haven't gone quite to plan and we've maybe hinted at it already. But what's your kind of closing sentiments, your feelings, your thoughts on... France 2023 as we sit here now I think I'll just repeat a little bit what I said on a previous pod that I think the highs at this World Cup have been really high I think we've seen some epic games we've seen some thrilling games involving countries that we know a lot less about like Portugal we've seen the emergence of of Fiji into the quarterfinals knocking out knocking out Australia for me I reflect on it as a series of highlights rather than a body of work if that makes sense what you'd want from a World Cup is that you build on it each time and it was too, a bit too long, a bit too drawn out, too saggy in the middle. We know that's going to change for, for next time. I think it was a tough tournament for, for fans. I think the organisation uh, around the matches, there's just so much like forced fun. You can't go to a game and watch the other game because you've got to have adverts and sponsors on screens and all of that nonsense, which was a shame, I think. I think fans, they made their own fun, but it, it wasn't made easy for travelling supporters. Of course, it's incredibly expensive. But I think if you're talking purely rugby, there is a case for it being one of the best on-field World Cups because of the, some of the thrilling storylines we had. 
Loads, loads of great games, loads of tight games. Probably some of the best knockout games we've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah. Didn't didn't love the World Cup as a whole. Loved being here for the times. Loved going around the place, touring, following England around, having plenty of fun around it. Loved being with all you lads, but didn't adore the tournament. I Loved felt beating like, Chris Ashton and Richard Wigglesworth. Oh, what a highlight! That's highlight. Swimming in the sea on the mornings of games. Loved that. France is an amazing country. Had a great time, but. I felt like the whole atmosphere around it, the answer for most things was no. No, you can't do that. No, you can't be here. No, you can't stand there. No, you can't buy that. No, that's not free. No, no, you can't do this. No, you can't get in at this point. No, you can't do that. It was all a bit sort of overzealous and a bit kind of... And I, and I worry that that's going to keep happening and everything just gets shut out. And it's a sort of, yeah, the experience of actually being at the World Cup isn't brilliant. When, when uh, it, it was mooted or when France... Uh, bid and accept and were accepted. I thought it's going to be the greatest, it's going to be the best because, of course, France, the stadiums which are which are magnificent, uh, and it wasn't. It's not the greatest. I've been to ten and it wasn't the greatest. I can't contemplate whether it's in the top three really. S- stellar rugby, as as the boys said, stellar rugby is a magnificent city, a magnificent company. We met great people, saw great rugby, but it was not in the end a great World Cup. In spite of all of that, the crowds were remarkable. Oh, the crowds were brilliant. Crowds at, were brilliant. at every game, at, at every level of game, you know, whether whether you're talking the you know, the, the Ireland fans in in Paris, uh, or you're talking a sellout crowd for Georgia against Portugal, the fans were were outstanding, mm. and and they they defied some pretty difficult circumstances early on in the heat wave and yeah. late on in the pouring rain. I, so massive credit to to the the French public. For coming out in Absolutely. like in throngs to this now, eight years time, this World Cup goes to the USA. I don't see how you you sell out a twenty thousand stadium for Georgia Portugal. Like I, you, we've got to realise how special that side of this was. Alex, I, I would actually make another point that to, which failed to sell it for me as a great World Cup, and that is, as you say, and and, and we all know this, the crowds love when the one of the tiny. Tr- uh, the smaller nation scores a try against a tier one nation or especially when they almost beat them or when they really resist that is what the world cup has always missed and the bitterly bitterly disappointing thing for me was when world rugby announced this much vaunted new look the, in terms of the old tier two it was a total paper exercise nothing was written down nothing was decided nothing was funded and I bet you anything, when we come to the next World Cup, it'll be exactly the same. Well, let's finish things off then. God or Goddess of the Week, the final one of the World Cup. Who wants to start? Can I offer a devil? Of course you can. Yep. Eddie Jones. Yes. We have learnt this morning that he's resigned as the Australian head coach. Absolute, what a total unmitigated disaster that whole thing has been. Um, so many people are waking up in Australia, hanging their heads in shame over the whole thing. What a what a nightmare. He, they move heaven and earth to get him there. Hamish McLennan puts his whole reputation on the line for it. They win two of nine tests, get knocked out in the pool stage of the World Cup, argue with everyone. They're seriously disrespectful to some massively important wallabies, and then he just goes and bins it off. More than that, they had a, they had a plan, Australia. To win the World Cup? No, pre- before. The they, had, they had Dave Rennie in charge. And they had Dan McKellar effectively lined up to be Dave Rennie's replacement. They sacked Dave Rennie, hire Eddie Jones, Dan McKellar becomes a Leicester Tigers head coach. 
and now now they don't know where they're going to go. And right. they've got the Lions in two years. I and the World Cup in four. I see Eddie as a Dr. Faustus. He sold his soul to the devil. He practiced more than heavenly power permits, as Christopher Marlowe wrote. In the end, uh, when the hour chimed, the devil Mephistopheles came back and claimed his soul forever. Oh, someone, Profound. Someone follow that. Uh, God of the week, Peter Stafford Toy. Yeah, twenty-eight tackles in a World Cup final, and for a few years ago, almost lost his leg from a rare condition. Basically, had a hematoma in his leg, and almost had to have it amputated. So to get through that, get to a, not even just to get to the World Cup, play rugby again, but then to be the man of the match in the World Cup final and make twenty-eight tackles is an absolutely ridiculous effort. Was he in twenty nineteen? Did he get player of the match? Dwayne Mullen was the he was world player of the year. But he was world player of the yeah. year. He's a big game player, isn't he? Yeah, amazing yeah. stuff. Yeah, there you go. I've so stolen he, yours. Yeah, he's going to be <laughs> my. I mean, I, we've all got to do our players of the tournament. I do think Ardi Savea was awesome for the All Blacks yesterday and, a, and deserves a, a, a name check. And Geordie Barrett was my player of the tournament. I think he should have been on the list. Oh no, the lists are all silly, but World Player of the Year list, Geordie Barrett. Geordie, yeah, I, I just think he's... Instead of Dupont. Yes, agree. Agree. He was awesome for, for the All Blacks. Actually made the, probably made the difference between them going home in the quarters and, and getting as far as they did. So Peter, Steph was mine. Steve, you going to give us a clean sweep or have you got another name? I've got a guy who was just being magnificent against the odds. Started slowly, played magnificently on Saturday uh, last night. That's Tyrell Lomax, uh, up tight head. I thought he absorbed so much pressure. And in the end, because of him and after he was replaced, the, 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 the New Zealanders got on top in the scrum. I, th- I think he's a world-class player and has had a great tournament. Well, it's been a pleasure, boys. No, the end is near. No, oh, we cool. we're, getting a, we're getting a song from Will <laughs> no. to round us off. Maybe later. He has lost it. <laughs> it, it has been a pleasure. Well done, Alfie. You've been a, a producer almost as good as any of the last five we've had. <laughs> <laughs> almost. He tied it to, you know, to be fair, like tying it together where we've got our microphones that don't work in Lille and Marseille yeah. and then it's not your fault, shambling though. about in hotels and legging it around. Fair play. Well done, Alfie. You're our god of the tournament. But I, that is... It, I feel like I'm the Antoine Dupont on the World cry, Player of the Year list there. The undeserving no, uh, name. Come on. Also, no, no. loads of people have come up to us and said that they, 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 they're they listening. And everybody out there, it's really, we couldn't do it without you. And um, we don't know your names, but thanks a million for listening. I really, really do um, appreciate it. Goal of the week is Alfie Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's absolutely not. Deputy God. Deputy uh, he's given uh, me a fiver under the desk as well. I can't believe it. Imagine that. Following the World Cup final and it's uh, me that gets the vote. <laughs> least least deserving award that I think there's ever been but it's been a pleasure we hope you have enjoyed it out here in France hope we've been able to give you a a pretty good flavour of what it's like on the ground the atmosphere in the stadium and all that sort of stuff so make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast from we will be back next Monday we have to turn our attention back towards the Premiership and all other matters in the rugby world but for the final time from out in France see ya Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.